You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, when you least expect it, is part four of the series, Begin with the End in Mind, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Wow, choir, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, John, for uh, your singing there. Wonderful. It's good to sing about that and, uh, and to affirm that truth. And that's what we've been looking at really for the past four weeks as we've been listening to the teaching of Jesus from Matthew chapter 24. And then we're going to continue uh, next Sunday through chapter 25. So we've been in this series of sermons called Begin with the End in Mind. So literally, uh, here at the beginning of the year, we're, we're trying to have the end of all things in mind. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus taught his disciples about what's going to happen, what to expect, how to prepare for the end. And so uh, we're trying to get some perspective on that as well. You know, I think one of the reasons that God gives these sections of prophecy in the Bible is to give us perspective so that we can sort of pull back and see the end and what that's going to be. And it gives us hope to do that because once we know what he has planned for the end, then we'll be able to live in the present with more confidence and with more clarity. You know, most people in the world do not uh, look at the future the way Christians do. Uh, I've been telling you, and I want to repeat it again today, that there are two basic ways that people look at the future. The first way, what most of the world believes, is that the future is unknown. And there's nobody in charge. Nobody knows how it's going to turn out. And with that perspective, if you listen to the people in our world today who make predictions about the future, then uh, what you hear is that humanity's future is not looking good Uh, because people, uh, some will say that the climate is going to become unlivable. Others will say another pandemic is coming. It's going to take everybody out. Uh, Some others predict that at some point in the future, some dictator's going to push a button uh, somewhere in the world and start a nuclear war and the whole thing is going to go up in smoke. And so whatever happens, in that perspective, the future is something to dread or to fear or to do what many people in the world today do, and that is to completely ignore and just to live to get all the pleasure you can, all the power you can in the present because the future doesn't matter and uh, and the future is something that we should just forget about. Uh, Now, what Jesus teaches us is really different from that perspective because the Lord Jesus teaches us that the future is not unknown because it has been written and planned by Almighty God. The future, Jesus teaches, is ruled and controlled by God. God has a plan for it all that is unfolding under his sovereign direction. God not only has a plan for the end of the world and beyond and how all that will turn out, he has a plan for your life. 
And if you'll trust him, then, then he's going to make your life and your future something beautiful. Uh, with that perspective, I'll say it again, we're able to live in the present with a great deal of clarity and with a lot less anxiety because we know how the story ends. Uh, now, with that, I want to pick up where we left off last week, and we're going to read through the end of uh, chapter 24 today. Let me begin with verse 36. As Jesus, just three days away from dying on the cross, is teaching his disciples about the future, and he says this in verse 36. It's a key statement in this chapter. Jesus said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, what was Jesus talking about when he said that we don't know and only God knows that day and hour? What was he referring to? Well, I think it's best to understand it as the whole series of events that we call the end times. Uh, I think you can make a case for the fact this refers specifically to the second coming of Christ. But I think it's best to understand and apply it to the whole series of events that we know as the end times. I believe in the end times, uh, there are three major events that are next on God's prophetic calendar. Uh, some people uh, translate it and, and see it a different way. This is what I believe the order is. I believe the next thing that happens is the rapture of the church. It could happen at any moment. This is that moment when God snatches away all believers, both dead and living, out of the world. All those who make up the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to appear in the clouds. He's not going to come down to the earth at this point, but he appears in the clouds and, uh, and he gathers together all Christians, everyone else will be left behind and they will face what the Bible calls the tribulation. Once the church is raptured out of the world, evil will be unrestrained and God will begin to pour his wrath on the earth for this period of seven years. Uh, the way I read it in scripture, the first half of that period of time will be characterized by uh, temporary peace that is brought about by an emerging world leader known as the Antichrist. And it will be a time of great deception as the whole world is deceived. The second half of that time period will be a time of unprecedented chaos and trauma on the earth. You can read about it in the book of Revelation as, as God pours out his wrath against sin on the earth. And that time ends with uh, something that we call the second coming of Jesus. At the end of the great tribulation, Jesus will suddenly return. He will quickly defeat all the enemies of the gospel and of Christ. And, and that will include the Antichrist. He will be defeated. And this is going to do two things. The second coming of Jesus will at the same time, conclude this age of humanity's sin and rebellion against God, and this time when the church is operating to 
get the word out about the gospel, to evangelize, to send missionaries around the world, to win every people group to faith in Christ that we can. And at the same time, Jesus is going to usher in uh, his reign on the earth uh, that, that we know as the millennial or thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. And so we have this confidence, really, that there is a day coming that Jesus will fulfill his promise to return. The second time he comes is going to be different from the first time he came. This time, when he comes again, he's going to come quickly. He'll come in power and glory. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow to him. And he's going to bring a final judgment on sin and Satan. And we will safely be with him and rule with him forever and ever. And that is our hope. I believe that's what Jesus probably has in view in verse 36 when he says, Of that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels, only my Father in heaven. So there's a lot we don't know. But then he tells us some things that we do know uh, in this passage we're about to read. Let's pick up in verse 37 and uh, read through the end of the chapter. Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth." So Jesus teaches here, there are things we don't know, like the specific day and time that he returns. But there are things that we do know and we ought to pay attention to. And so I want to give you today from this passage three things that we know about the second coming of Jesus. And, and again, I think uh, we should apply this to the whole series of events. Uh, so number one is this, the second coming of Jesus will be sudden and unexpected. In verse 36, Jesus says, No one knows the specific day or hour these things will take place. 
Now, there are many people who have uh, uh, set dates and said, this is the day that Jesus is coming back. Uh, Some people point to different charts and diagrams about the end times and point to things like blood moons and write books and all of that. So far, everyone who has set a date and that day has come and gone has been proven to be a false teacher. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. However, those who believe in Jesus are going to see the signs that he's talked about previously in this chapter. And we're going to have an awareness that the time is drawing near, but no one knows exactly when. Jesus makes that point in verse 37 uh, with uh, the flood in the days of Noah. You may remember that period of time, according to Genesis chapter 6, was so wicked in the world that God told Noah, I'm going to destroy every human being on earth except for you and your family. I'm going to start over with you and so build an ark, this big boat in which I'm going to preserve your life and shield you from my judgment that is coming in the flood. And so when the time came, God told Noah and no one else in the world, it's time to enter the ark. Noah went in, God shut the door, sealed it behind him for everyone else. And here's the point Jesus is making. For everyone else, they were going about their business. They were living their lives. And then suddenly the flood came and swept them all away in judgment. Now Noah had preached to them. He had warned them, but they didn't listen And judgment came suddenly and unexpectedly. Now, why did Jesus tell about that? Well, that's how the rapture of the church is going to seem to those who are unsaved. This is how the second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation is going to be for those who are alive at that time. They're going to be uh, going about their daily lives, chasing after their sin, and suddenly unexpectedly, Jesus will appear and it will all be over. In light of that, Jesus said in verse 42, watch therefore. Watch, he said. Now, what does that mean to watch? Why would he say that? Well, in Jesus' day, that word watch was used as a military term. Some of you have served in the military. You know what this is about. Uh, when soldiers are assigned guard duty. And uh, some of you have done that. And you know that sometimes it's in the middle of the night and that guard has to stay on that watch awake and alert. If that soldier were to fall asleep on that watch or get distracted by something else, the enemy could slip in and invade the camp and it would be disastrous. On watch, you have to You have to be awake and alert if you're a soldier. But sometimes in Jesus' day, that word was used for a worker who had a job to do. A worker can't fall asleep and get distracted while they're on the clock. You have to watch what you're doing and stay alert. Uh, The first time I learned this, I was in middle school and the head, head football coach of the high school team asked me to be one of the three managers for the football team. And I was just a little guy, and I almost got fired 
because uh, the head coach, a hard-nosed guy named Paige Cothran, who'd been a kicker for the Rams, uh, he would look over at me during practice or, or a game and, uh, so that he could catch my eye, motion me over to get something or to, to do something. And when he did that, I wouldn't be paying attention. I would be joking around with the bench warmers or passing a football to another manager or kicking up a dirt clod with my toe without a thought in my head. And I would get in trouble. And so he told me, uh, this is a volunteer position, but I'm going to have to fire you if you don't pay attention. Here's what I learned. I learned I've got to keep my eyes on that head coach because if I just watch him all the time, then I'm not going to miss something that he wants me to do. And then sometimes uh, that word watch was used of students. It, it means to pay attention to the teacher. If a student is going to learn anything in school, they can't let their mind wander and daydream while the teacher is teaching. And can I tell you, I was horrible at this when I was in school. I can't tell you how many times I, I got in trouble, I got sent to detention, I got notes sent home because while the teacher was teaching, I was goofing off, I was entertaining the class, I wasn't paying attention, I was running around the room or something. And uh, so I was awful at this. Therefore, I didn't learn much. Just before I went to college, uh, I read in Reader's Digest an article about college students who sit in the front row. The author called it the A-row. And he said the evidence shows if you will just show up and sit in the front row of your college class, chances are just by doing that, you're going to make better grades than the people who sit behind you. And so I thought, look, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I can sit on the A row and maybe make better grades. And you know what? It worked. It's hard to be distracted when all you can see is the teacher. Some of you ought to try that in church. <laughs> here's, what, here's what Jesus was teaching. When he said, watch, listen, as we await his coming, we need to remember that we are soldiers on a battlefield and we're involved in spiritual warfare against a very intelligent and very motivated and very aggressive enemy. And we need to be alert and attentive and not fall asleep on our watch so we can be good soldiers for the Lord Jesus. And we are workers for the Lord He's given us a job to do in this world until he comes. And so we need to stay alert and have our eyes on him so we can do a good job for his glory. And we are students of the Lord Jesus. We're his disciples. We have a lot to learn. And we need to pay attention and show up every day on the A-row to listen to him so we don't miss a thing that he wants to teach us. When he returns, let's, let's be found watching and alert and vigilant when he comes. 
So the second coming of Jesus is going to be sudden and unexpected. We need to be watching and waiting. Uh, But here's a second thing that we know, and that is the second coming of Jesus will divide humanity into two and only two groups. In verses 40 and 41, Jesus said, At that time, one will be taken, the other will be left. One will be taken, the other will be left. When Jesus comes, his coming is going to divide every human being into one of two groups. Those who are saved from judgment or those who will suffer judgment. Every single human being will either be in that group of those who are saved or those who are lost. There is no third option. Just two possibilities. And there are no second chances. Whether a person dies before Jesus comes or they are alive when Jesus comes, in either case, at that moment of their death or the appearing of the Lord, their spiritual condition will be locked in and it cannot be changed and they cannot change groups. They will be every single person in one of two groups, those who were taken to be with Jesus or those who were left to suffer judgment. And the basis for that division will be for every person, did you believe in Jesus while you had the chance? Did you believe in Jesus? That he came into this world, he went to the cross, and he died for our sins. He suffered in our place. He took all of the wrath of God that you and I deserve as sinners. He died for us, and he rose from the dead so that now anyone who turns to him in faith, if they turn from their sin and believe in Jesus, they will be saved by his grace. They will change groups. And so the basis for the division that happens of all mankind into one of two groups when Jesus returns is simply this. Did you believe in Jesus? So the third thing that we can know about the second coming of Jesus is this. The key word for us right now is the word ready. That's the key. For now is the word ready. Jesus said in verse 44, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We don't know when the Lord is coming, but He says, Be ready when I come. Now, how can we be ready when Jesus comes? Well, there are two ways. First of all, you're ready for the coming of Jesus If you are saved, if you place your faith in Jesus, you believe in Him, you're ready if you are saved. If you are unsaved, you are not ready for the coming of Jesus. You will not survive it. And I say this uh, because I'm compelled to do it. There are some sitting here who are not ready. 
God has given you many opportunities to hear the gospel through the years so that you can repent and believe and be saved, but you've rejected over and over and over again. Some of you have rejected Jesus more times in your life than most of the world will ever even hear about Jesus. And he's been patient with you. He's given you opportunity after opportunity to hear the gospel, to trust in Jesus and be saved. But one day, that opportunity will come for the last time. You could die. You could be in an accident. You could lose your mind. And then there will be no more opportunities to be saved. And I'm just telling you, as an ambassador of Christ today, You can change groups. You can trust in Jesus and be saved today while you have this opportunity because you're not guaranteed another one. So tell me, when Jesus returns, what group will you be in? If Jesus returns before I finish this sermon, which group will you be in? Those who are saved from judgment Or those who are going to suffer his judgment. Now when Jesus said in verse 44, be ready. I think he was also talking about uh, those who are in that group of those who are saved by God's grace. And the question is, are you living faithfully? Be ready. Are you in that group who are saved And are living faithfully. You're doing what Jesus told you to do. You're living how Jesus told you to live. You're living faithfully. He asked in verse 45. And I think verse 45 is an invitation to the whole world. He says, who is a faithful servant? The implication is you can be a faithful servant of Jesus. You can be found faithful when he returns. And he tells this story of Uh, It's a story with two scenarios. Uh, There's the master who goes off on a trip and he leaves one of his servants in charge. And so that servant becomes a manager temporarily who has responsibilities. And then the master comes home unexpectedly and finds that servant faithfully fulfilling his duties. And and that servant is rewarded. That servant is blessed. And that's, that's... how we want it to be, right? When Jesus returns, we want him to find us faithfully doing what he told us to do, living how he told us to live. But the other scenario in that story is an unfaithful servant who doesn't know when his master's going to return and time passes and the servant begins to think, well, he's delaying coming back for so long, I don't think he's ever going to come back And when he does, surely I'll have time to get my act together. And so the servant just kind of goes wild. He he doesn't do his job. He's misusing his authority. He's mistreating the other servants. And then suddenly the master returns unexpectedly. And let's just say it did not go well for that evil, unfaithful servant. With that in mind... Listen to this statement from one of the disciples who was there and heard Jesus tell this story for the first time. His name is John, 
And here's what he writes in 1 John 2, 28. He says, Now, little children, abide in Him. That is, abide in Jesus, meaning continue to follow Him, continue to love Him, continue to pray, continue to obey Him, continue to learn from Jesus. He says, abide in Him, and listen to this, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Question. If Jesus returns today, will you be confident or will you be ashamed? We don't know when Jesus is going to return, but we know this. When he does, among his people, there will be two reactions. There will be those who are confident because they're not perfect, but they're living their lives in a state of of readiness and preparedness and righteousness. They're eagerly awaiting His return. They're uh, by the grace of God. And they're not perfect, but, but they're living the way Jesus said to live. They're doing what Jesus said to do. And when He returns, they're going to stand before Him in confidence. But then there will be some who will experience shame. Like teenagers whose parents come home a day early from vacation. Not everybody who loves the Lord is going to be excited to see Him come back. They'll be ashamed. Confidence comes from abiding in Him, obeying His Word, loving His people, living in fellowship with Him. But we would be ashamed... If Jesus comes back and finds us involved in sin and ignoring Him and living in disobedience to Him, like Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, what did they do? Somebody tell me. They hid. They were ashamed. They were afraid of the Lord. Listen, it's God's will that His children live before Him in confidence and not in shame and embarrassment. And by the grace of God, we can be faithful servants and be confident when He returns. I was talking uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago to a person who'd been a restaurant manager before. And they were telling me about when the health department comes and pays that inspection visit. And uh, they said, you know, they give you a general time frame, but you don't know the day or the hour that the inspector is coming, you don't know when they're going to suddenly appear in your restaurant and walk through your kitchen with a clipboard. And uh, so here's the thing. That restaurant manager, well, they can operate the restaurant with the expectation that at any moment of the day, that health inspector will walk through the door. And so with that expectation... They do their best to make sure that restaurant and that kitchen is clean and in order and functioning properly. They don't want to be ashamed by a citation or a low score. And as Christians, it's much the same, isn't it? We need to live in light of the fact that Jesus could come at any time so that we will stand before Him in readiness and watchfulness and confidence 
And so the question to close with is simply this. Are you right now ready for His return? Are you right now ready for His return? Let's stand together and and have a time of prayer and and commitment. And I, I just feel compelled to pray in this way first. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for those who are here in this room or watching us online who are not ready, and they know it, this sermon has bothered them because they know they're not ready. I pray today would be the day that they change groups, that they respond to your gracious gift of salvation and they repent and believe the gospel. Lord Jesus, thank you for doing all that is necessary to purchase our salvation. And I pray that today, for those who are not ready, if you return right now, I pray that today would be the day they get that settled. Lord, for those who are already saved, but are not living faithful lives, Not watchful, not ready. God, I pray that, I just thank you that I've experienced this so many times in my life that you are patient and you're long suffering and you're merciful and you forgive. Lord, I pray you would forgive us where we failed to be living like we should live and doing what you taught us to do. We want to be confident and not ashamed when you return. And so, Lord, whatever prayers need to be prayed, whatever adjustments need to be made, whatever decisions need to get settled today, we want to do that now so that we're ready and we're confident when you return. Lord, I pray you would have your way right here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.